This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This morning we will focus on the second abomination as as seen in this passage from Proverbs chapter 6 on lying lips. Read at our first lesson today from Genesis chapter 3 of the fall of humanity, perhaps the first lie that's, or actually the first lie that's found in Holy Scripture when Satan said, you will not surely die. This statement lured humanity into sin and death. Jumping to the last book of Holy Scripture in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we see the identity of this liar that we encounter in the, with the serpent in Genesis 3. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. As we looked at the first abomination of pride or haughty eyes last week, we now turn to what pride causes us all to do, to lie. This morning, let us meditate upon the dangers of lying, of the lying tongue, and the only relief that is available. First, as scripture states throughout, lying, pure and simple, is sin. We experience lying from every direction at all levels throughout our lives. We are all guilty of it. As the psalmist says in Psalm 116 verse 11, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. As an abomination is described in Proverbs 6 and elsewhere in the Bible, lying is a must, if you will, in terms of our self-examination for sins to give to the Lord in repentance and confession. As Jesus stated in John chapter 8, verse 44, about the liar, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. The lie in the garden that you shall not surely die had the intent of murder behind it. This is why lying on every level is so insidious, whether on the small scale or the national scale, lying eventually kills. We could look at any dictatorship or tyranny in history as embellished with a foundation of lies. The lies are meant to persuade the people to do the state's bidding, no matter how vile the bidding. For the state that is based on lies, the motive is the subjugation of others for the state to retain its power. It is our status as sinners, if you think about it, on a large scale. Even in the democratically elected governments 
that we are used to, we often become disillusioned with lying from our government officials. Once governor of California, George Duke Majin, made this statement. He said, the difference between golf and government, that is in golf, you can't improve your lie. It does not matter where we turn. Lying is part of the equation for us as fallen humanity from the government to the individual. As humans, we deal with lies in two ways in life. To lie in response or to turn to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and dependence. This is why the constant cry of God's people from the fall, as we read in Genesis 3, until the coming of Jesus, was deliverance from falsehood. As the psalmist states in chapter 31, verse 18 of the Psalms, let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. And further in Psalm 120, verse 3, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. When people speak out of pride and contempt against others, it is part of sinful human nature to use lies. It is the manifestation of the promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. We see this fight throughout scripture, culminating with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the tempter, by Satan. This time, though, in the wilderness, it's represented in terms of the world that has been turned desolate from Satan's first successful temptation. Now Jesus enters the territory of Satan's desolation to reject his lies with his truth, setting his path to restore humanity and the world. In telling Satan to be gone, Jesus then is comforted by the angels and then goes forth to enter this promised land to conquer it, if you will, by his mercy, his grace, and his truth without sin. No matter how much we try to fight falsehood in ourselves or in others, it only finds resolution in the gracious truth of God in Christ to forgive us in his finished work. Ultimately, the sin of lying finds defeat through how Jesus dealt with the unruly tongues of humanity, bringing us to our last point. In dealing with the tongue, we must first briefly outline the dangers of how The tongue is corrupted, how it becomes a tool to spew the lies of the enemy. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in James 3, 5, and 6, it provides an example for us to heed in terms of the propensity to sin in all of us with our lips. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 8 speaks further of this truth of our condition. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. There's no wiggle room here in terms of finding a way to work out, to work out of this problem with our tongues, with this problem in terms of our sin nature. This all comes from the heart of sinful humanity. As Proverbs 20 verse 9 reminds us, who can say, I have made my heart pure? 
I am clean from my sin. The simple answer is that self-heart cleansing is impossible. Jesus speaks more to our hopeless condition in Matthew 15. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jesus was stating this against the religious elite of his day that thought external purity in terms of ceremonial washing of hands and so forth was all that mattered. We often resort to this sort of window dressing religion of self-help as an excuse not to deal with our own hearts. The foundation of our issues is that we are sinful from the very core of our being can only be rescued from outside ourselves through Christ. The only remedy to our sinful tongues, to our hardened hearts, is of course the grace of God in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, his resurrection. The world, the flesh, and the devil seeks to tell the lie that we can clean ourselves through whatever means we desire. This was part of the lie in the Garden of Eden that Satan said this in verse 5 of Genesis 3. For God knows that when you eat, when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan wants us to think that we are like God, that we are gods, that we can know good and evil. In the end, this means we in our sin twist the truth through our own lies to be what it, we want it to be. The result to this, when we encounter problems with ourselves and others, we do not like is to undertake sinful solutions. This cleaning is not cleaning at all, but lies layered upon lies that ultimately kill us spiritually and physically. Our only hope, of course, is Christ as our second Adam, living perfectly in every manner to fulfill the law where we have all failed. He became the unblemished sacrifice to pay for our sins of the tongue, for our lying. As Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 remind us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to find and help of time of need. The old lie of Satan that we have to save ourselves is abolished with the free gift of God's love that gives eternal life, eternal rest. The rest for our souls does not sit in how well we are doing in terms of our good works. If we try this, we will wear ourselves out. The rest for our souls resides in the perfection of Christ in every detail of his life, culminating in his death for us that had no help, hope of ever taming our tongues or softening our own hearts. He alone has this power to save. As the prophet Ezekiel stated in chapter 11, verses 19 and 20 of his prophecy, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But the death of Jesus at the cross, the serpent's head was bruised, was crushed. Jesus forever silenced the power of Satan's tongue. He forever gave us the antidote to the poison of lying lips 
by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, and his people that he softens throughout their lives through sanctification, he fosters hearts that have been transformed, hearts that now seek his peace and his truth. He fosters in us hearts that are forbearing with each other, that are forgiving, that are patient, that are ever looking to God through the Spirit and making it through in His grace while dealing with sinners and our own sin. God does this through the Holy Spirit in the church. He teaches us to know the truth of Jesus Christ from the lies of this world, from the lies of the flesh, from the lies of the devil. God alone, in his word through the Holy Spirit, indwelling all of us as his believers, does as we read today in Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Teaching is tied to the softened heart that is united to Jesus Christ to fear God and to then live. For people that handle money every day, such as bank tellers, The way they're trained to spot counterfeit currency is to feel and to look at the official notes all day long. In this mundane practice of knowing true money from false money, spotting something off becomes second nature. The same is true of the Lord working in our hearts to transform our hearts to know the truth and in knowing the truth to utter his truth. This, of course, is through his word. As we read in the first few verses of Psalm 86, the Holy Spirit fosters truth within all of us through listening to our pleas. When we cry out, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. He does this through preserving our lives in him, assuring us of resurrection of life eternal, regardless of what sinful man does to our bodies through their lives. He does this in being gracious to us in a world that is full, of, that is filled with a lack of mercy and a lack of truth. In his grace, as we read in verse 4 of the psalm, do we find that our souls truly are gladdened, resting in forgiveness, resting in steadfast love, as verse 5 points out. The only remedy to our corruption, to our lying lips, is the love of Jesus Christ. We cling to his love through repentance and asking his help to keep our tongues tame so that they may utter truth, love, mercy, and grace instead of lies, instead of hate. Yet on this side of eternity in corrupt bodies, saved yet sinners, we deal with the heartache that lies and falsehoods create. We deal with our own sins of the tongue. The only way through is the love of Christ that forgives all unrighteousness through his birth, through his life, through his passion, through his death, through his resurrection. As 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 reminds all of us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only way a tongue is tamed is through submission to Christ through using the same tongue that sinned to confess our sins to God and to each other. This work of God's grace in our hearts takes the entirety of life, like a farmer caring and tending his farm. The constant call of grace is that our lips are called to utter grace and truth. 
As 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 reminds us, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from spreading deceit. Grace works out not only in reminding us of the truth through what is forbidden. It fills the void caused by renouncing sin through repentance with his holy word. His love in our words and actions. Even in the tense moments when the world advocates lying, when the world advocates falsehood, the Holy Spirit cultivates the following that we are reminded of in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Satan's lie that you shall not surely die was taken fully by Jesus Christ to die in our place and thus rise from the dead to declare that even in our deaths we are victorious not through our works but through the finished work of Christ. Yes, Adam and Eve chose death through believing that first lie. In Jesus we have the second Adam that rejected that lie leading to death by dying so that we might live in his kingdom forever as his children saved from the destruction wrought by our rebellious and lying nature. To believe in Jesus is to reject the lie of Satan through embracing his truth, the truth in Christ alone. As 1 John 5.10 reminds us, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born Concerning his son. Let us submit to our Lord daily and the important work he does in taming our tongues through his love, through his grace, enabling us to repent where we have sinned and to embrace his forgiveness so that we may love God and love one another in word and deed. Amen.